house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Indefinitely here. Are you on drugs? Currently or in general? Currently. No. Dinner? You're asking me to dinner? I think so. I'm gonna have to decline. You're not a friend? Currently or in general? In general. No. But we have good patter. <laughs> Why New Jersey? I'm meeting someone for the first time. How do I look? Well, you you look slightly ridiculous. Nah. <laughs> See you at seven. No, you won't. You'd expect it to be easy meeting your grown son for the first time. Hello. Why are you here? I'm just making some changes in my life. In a few minutes, my husband's going to walk through that door and this will be the last time I ever see you. You have every right to be angry. I don't care enough to be angry, okay? Nice to meet you. Have a good one. Hello and welcome to the This Head Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that does have a balloon. Every week on This Head Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with the only podcast host featured in Gal Gadot's Imagine video, Joe Reed. Hey, baby doll, what's going on? <laughs> hey, baby. Okay, so that is obviously supposed to be Sweet Caroline. It's a very, very thin gloss on Sweet Caroline. I, I, uh, in my preparation for our episode on Danny Collins, I read some reviews, and in two consecutive reviews, uh, one by Jordan Hoffman, one by Wesley Morris, they each mentioned our one finest. thing. Both one, of our yes, we love them. Um, they each mentioned one thing in the movie that was so. Uh, so close to a ripoff that it would have been legally actionable. Jordan mentioned Annette Benning is doing a Diane Keaton performance to the point of, uh, of actionability. And, and Wesley Morris was like, uh, Hey, baby doll is close enough to sweet Caroline to be like, you could make a legal case for uh, copyright infringement. <laughs> it's true. It's true in both cases. It is neither are lies. It's very true. Um, the John Lennon stuff in this movie, based of on course, the true Imagine is featured in this movie. It this is. movie feels very Imagine video to the point that I almost wa- went back and watched the Cursed thing to be like, is Al Pacino in that? Wouldn't have surprised me. Wouldn't have surprised. He's me in that strata of celebrity who would get invited to uh, something like that. That was very. I imagine the entire Danny Collins cast was invited, and the right. only one who said no was Annette. <laughs> it's very possible it's very possible um here's the thing and i feel like i should like put this out here right at the top is and to preface this i am unwell like this is a rough this is this time of year i am burnt out to a crisp this is my uh my busy season i am juggling multiple jobs and multiple assignments and multiple... I'm juggling a home move right now. I have a feeling I know exactly what you're going to say, and I'm going to be with you. I ended up really liking Danny Collins. I kind of like this movie. I found it really genuinely charming. I thought every performance in it was good. Like, 
I wouldn't them. go that far. Who would you say is not? It's not that, like, Jennifer Garner and Bobby Cannavale are not good. It's that, like, oh. why are they there? Those characters suck. And, like, they are working way too way too hard for these nothing characters. Everything um, in this movie is cliche, but I will argue, I think Cannavale is baseline good. I think Garner, in her first scene especially, is kind of great, sort of spinning straw into gold. Like, I genuinely... Yeah. I think she's, like, she's doing... She's operating on a key that I don't think we see her operate on a lot, which is, like, this very kind of earthy, non perky you know what i mean this is this is not a capital she one was the yeah. nicer sister of her juno character a little bit yeah but it, like but it, nicer younger sister to that character i know i wondered if part of it was that she was playing a pregnant character i know she wasn't pregnant in <laughs> juno but so much of juno was about her wanting to have a baby and i wondered whether that was making me think of her juno character but like there were temperamental similarities between the two and i think she's actually quite good i think christopher Plummer in his one big scene towards the end of the movie, is actually... That pussy good. magnet with a fedora, Christopher Plummer. Okay, also, world... What a stud. Guinness World Record held for this movie for number of fedoras in a film. <laughs> there are just so many. There are just so many of them, especially in the opening scene where he's we're seeing the sort of, like, louche uh, party animal, Danny Collins. And Danny it's Collins like, is a movie that trades in fedoras and loose scarves... The like ratio of, of people to Fedora in that opening scene is like nearly one to one. It's really something. Um, I think Pacino, particularly graded on the curve of where his career had been in the like decade leading up to this movie, it's, it's good Pacino. He's giving a charming performance. If this uh, happened in the era of the memes of Pacino listening to his headphones walking down the street dancing, yeah. this movie would have been a genuine hit. And I know that that sounds end of days to say, but like, it, it makes feels me like feel this like, movie happened too early. <laughs> it makes me feel like Duncachino era Al Pacino was more of a choice and less. Because remember when Duncachino happened and we were all like, this is wild, but also, what is Al Pacino doing? Where is, where, what has his career come to? And now I look at that, and I, that was maybe, what, four years before uh, Danny Collins? But I look at it, and I'm just like, is this sort of just, like, where Al was at, temperamentally, in his career at this point? <laughs> and, like, I'm kind of cool with that. I'm kind of good. Um, I definitely see... I mean, whatever. The Hollywood Foreign Press saw whatever gift bag they got from, uh, what's the studio? Bleecker Street? Who did this? Bleecker. We talked about Bleecker recently on our, uh, on Chesil Beach episode. Yes. Um, so like, it's, it's hard to be like, Hollywood Foreign Press really knew what they were talking about when they nominated this. It's like, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking, but like, sometimes they're accidentally right. I mean, that nomination was like a punchline, but actually, at the end of the day, I think it's a good nomination. (laughs) Wait, all right. We can't do, we can't delve into the Golden Globes before we get into the plot description. No, 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 we're like, no, no. We're, we're totally not going, We're not going all the way in. Yet. We will. We're not going to talk fully about Dan Fogelman yet, but I, I do want to preface by saying this is the most uh, transcendent of Dan 
Vogelman's bullshit, even though all of it is there. We have um, a lot of, actually a lot of topics to get into, because like this is only our third Al Pacino movie, and the first two were still ensconced in that just pri- Frankie and Johnny was just prior to his Oscar, and uh, Carlito's Way was just after it. So it's still in this early 90s. We're still in what many would consider not if not the prime of Pacino's career then a prime of Pacino's career right he's still sort of the guy and this is a definitely different era of Al Pacino and I really want to get into that I want to get into uh we haven't had a ton of opportunity to talk about Annette Bening on this uh, podcast so I'd like to do that and I don't know there's just like there's a few things going on in this movie that I think are kind of interesting. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, and we're like, sort of talking about. I, I had a, a lot of why I had such a good time with this movie was the Pacino performance. I think maybe as decent as this movie is, it kind of probably falls apart if Al Pacino is not exactly that level totally. of charming. Totally. Definitely. And, and like, it's super formulaic to the point where it's just like uh, the function that Annette Benning's character plays in the movie is kind sure. of silly but like i did not unenjoy myself i think this is why i sort of come back to the fact that like i think all the performer performances are, are operating on the cylinders that you need them to do to carry this movie off but i also feel like and and you know we're gonna sort of have our fun with dan fogelman but i think he as a writer and particularly it sort of shows up in this movie He's not a force for evil in this world. He's corny. He's he's fond of cliches. He's, you know, not operating on the higher levels. But I look at his sort of roster of movies, and I think even of a show like, like, This Is Us is not a force for evil in this world. It's not a show that I'm particularly interested in watching. But we could do worse, I would say, as a culture. Yes. What are, you, still watch what, are you, what are you silently judging me for? Wait a second. What is that silence? No, no, no. That's I mean, like, I agree. I agree. I mean, we're talking, we're going to be talking about, because we've also done, he didn't direct it, but he wrote Crazy Stupid Love, which we've right. done before. Yes. And, like, I, that's a, that's another movie that I think, despite its problems like we do enjoy but like those problems are like bad problems and like danny collins's problems are just more like this is really cliche i liked but danny collins quite nice. a bit more than i liked crazy stupid love and maybe that's I the expectation agree. game maybe that's the expectation game doing its thing where i i had higher hopes for crazy stupid love and i had lower expectations for this and this one yeah surpassed it's been a while since didn't. we've had a surprise we like it movie it's true it's true i was pleasantly i literally i did have the thought i was like is this just because i'm so stressed out and so overworked and i'm glad that i'm watching something that's just sort of pleasant and charming ultimately at the end of the day i don't care but um i was happy i was happy to watch it i i i'm less confused now by things like a rotten tomatoes rating in the high 70s or a Golden Globe nomination or something like that. You know what I mean? Okay. Like that's what, but this make th- it makes complete sense. A, I think that's a good Golden Glo- Globe comedy nomination. Al yes. Pacino's great. Yes, but also you have to look just like anything. You have to look at the Metacritic. You are, are forever split. the you got to look at the Metacritic guy of the two. Because of us. well, no, you got to look at them together. And like yes. this, 
this meta this split for this movie makes, makes sense. total sense. It's yes. a certified fresh movie, seventy eight percent, but it's like low fifties, mid fifties yeah. on Metacritic, which is like it got a lot of it's a three out of five positive. It's yeah. a three out of five movie down the middle. It's absolutely it. But like, uh, yeah, I'm 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 happy to have seen it, and I'm happy to get into all the stuff we're going to be able to get into uh, with this. So yeah, very good. Fantastic. Uh, well, then let's uh, let's move along to the 60-second plot description. Let's. Maybe one of the earliest we've gotten there. We've been doing uh, it earlier, I feel like. I feel like I've been, I've been itchier about uh, keeping us on a linear timeline, I don't know, in these things. Not getting too far ahead of ourselves, which is folly, as I know, but, <laughs> you know, whatever. You know, being too easily distracted. Um, Us? I can't imagine. (laughs) Couldn't Uh, With various uh, passionate things to say. Um, Once again, we are talking about the film Danny Collins. Daniel Collins. A movie that I'm sure very few of our listeners have seen. There is a pro tennis player named Danielle Collins, American tennis player. And every single time uh, she has a match on television or I'm mentioning... Uh, her to one of my tennis friends. I always say Danny Collins, and nobody gets it. Nobody thinks it's funny. Um, uh, but she is just Danny Collins to me. And and again, that's fine. I'm fine being the only person giggling to myself when I do that. And uh, for the end of time, I will. But that's fine. That's, that's good. The punchline of just bringing up Danny Collins has probably been taken from us by liking this movie, I would argue. Honestly, though... It's still we like this movie, but it's we're no allowed less... to like this movie. Listeners, nobody watch this movie. Don't do it so that we can still use it as a punchline. No, here's what I want. I want our listeners to watch this movie and then like we will be the lone bubble of Danny Collins appreciators in the world and it'll be just our little thing. It'll All be right, our the thing. The Garys when... are allowed to watch Danny Collins, but only the Garys. <laughs> It's a movie for Gary's. Movies for Gary's is uh, <gasps> is, is our awards. <laughs> it's our M for G's. Uh, wow. Okay, so I, I, I won't fall down that rabbit hole just yet. But um, <laughs> listeners, Gary's out there, if you need a Movies for Gary's, uh, you can all mobilize. We'll, we'll figure this out. Yeah. Uh, back to the 60-second plot description. Yes. We're here to talk about Danny Collins, written and directed by none other than Dan Fogelman, starring Al Pacino. Don't make him take his glasses off. He's Al Pacino. <laughs> Annette Benning, Bobby Cannavale, Jennifer Garner, uh, Christopher Plummer, um, human sex object. Um, a, a, you were really a, into Christopher Plummer. You were sending me like screen grabs. Yeah, were... he like uh, not necessarily like my type, but it's like look at the look at this handsome guy. Like he's still he's still doing it. Like you know at ninety or whatever in this movie. Yeah, he he's just he's definitely uh, dressed to be a certain type of character. Anyway, also starring Josh Peck. Nick Offerman and Melissa Benoist. Yeah. It's a deep cast. The movie opened uh, in a limited release of March of 2015. Indeed. Very limited. So limited that nobody saw it. <laughs> I mean, it made like $5 million, which I think for Bleeker is actually one of their better releases. Sure. Nobody you know saw it. Nobody uh, talked about it. 
Have your parents seen this? No, but I bet you they would like it. I knew, I was gonna. I was like, I should tell my mom to watch this movie. She I was going through the Pacino. We'll go through the Pacino two thousands uh, filmography in a second. But uh, as I was, I came across prime uh, Mister and Mrs. Reed uh, film, which is Stand Up Guys. The, sure. Uh, Sure. Uh, 2012, the Fisher Stevens directed movie, Stand Up Guys, which is always the, I, the Fisher I, Stevens directed that movie. Yes, <laughs> Oscar yes. winner Fisher Stevens, Oscar, Oscar winning short film director uh, Fisher Stevens. Yeah, the one day my dad trying to explain, trying to describe this movie to me, and I just was not getting it. And he was like, <laughs> "It's Christopher Walken, it's Alan Arkin." It's. I don't even think he mentioned Pacino, which is very funny. He's like, that sounds like going in style. It does sound like. I kept being like going in style, Las Vegas, like right, like going in style is Las Vegas, but it's just said in like I don't know Tallahassee. Right. I was like old dogs, no wild hogs, no all of these things that I like. Anything where it was like four old actors, which is like a booming (laughs) genre. Uh, could not come up with stand-up guys. And once he said it to me, I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely remember hearing about that. But, like, could not... And, like, he's describing the, like, fairly intricate plot. He's like, Juliana Margulies is in it. I'm like, absolutely not have I heard of this. Like, 100% do not know. So this is... That is a... Uh, that's a dad read all-star movie is stand-up guys right there. All right. We should bring your dad on the podcast. Absolutely. And lie about stand-up guys. <laughs> Be like, Absolutely yeah, not. tell us about stand-up guys. No, this podcast is, uh, is, I shouldn't say none of their business. That sounds weird. That sounds like stay away from my podcast. <laughs> it's just like, we, <laughs> we are none of, uh, uh, none of his concern, none of their concern at all. I feel like listeners of long episodes would be very angry if my dad came on because it would be a five-hour episode. <laughs> Talking about what film? What film would your dad like to talk oh, about? Oh, God, I don't even know. Um, yeah. That's a good question for a later date. All right. Are you ready to give a 60-second oh, right. plot description oh, right. of Danny We're Collins? We're ramping up to a plot description. Yes, yes, I am. All right, then Joseph Reed, your 60-second plot description of Danny Collins starts now. All right, Al Pacino plays Danny Collins, a Neil Diamond-esque past his prime singer who's still touring, still blowing lines and partying after his shows, and is about to marry a low-key gold-digging millennial when his manager surfaces a letter that John Lennon once wrote him, telling him to live with integrity or whatever. So Danny decides to change his life around, ditches the gold digger, and heads for New Jersey to see the son he's neglected his whole life. The son hates him, the son's pregnant wife gives Danny what for, and their daughter has ADHD, which Danny tries to help with his well-intentioned money, all the while trying to romance Annette Benning as the buttoned-up manager at the Hilton where he's staying. Benning's character, and also the Lennon note, inspires Danny to write new, more soulful music, as well as push for a relationship with his son, who might be dying of leukemia. Danny gets too scared to try his new music in front of his fans, who just want the hits, and he backslides into coke and gold diggers and makes everybody mad at him again for, like, two scenes. But Danny ultimately makes amends, sets off on tour again with his new music, and stands by his son through what we can all hope is a full recovery. The end. Hey, baby doll, what's going on? And that's I should have time. said that at the beginning. Hey, baby doll, what's going on? Should have been the opening <laughs> salvo. But I, how would I have known that I had? You're gonna have time to find a way to make it the outro music because I don't think our listeners are gonna think that it's a real song, even though it was shortlisted for best original song. 
So I imagine if you mentioned in the outline that two songs were shortlisted, I imagine eligible. it was Hey Baby Doll, which uh, is uh, not written uh, by Ryan Adams, and then Mary, which is the sort of like good song that was written by Ryan Adams. My no, con- it was Don't Look Down and Hey Baby Doll. Which one was Don't Look Down? Is that the is that the his like piano song that he makes for himself? Hold on, let me see. Uh, uh, let me look up the soundtrack listing. Don't look that might have been like yeah that was another one that was written by ryan adams both of those songs produced by don was who's one of those like record producers of like adult contempo stuff anyway if you think that we've gotten um an episode without any disgusting men in it this movie has original songs and original score written by Ryan Adams. Here's my Moving thing, though. We don't, we don't even need to. And we sort of went into this when we did our Elizabethtown episode where we were just like, Ryan Adams is gross. And yet we both really liked that song that they used uh, in uh, in Elizabethtown. And whatever. We can reckon with the fact that like probably all of the like great musicians of the 1970s were gross men uh, another day. But... We can appreciate Hey Baby Doll without guilt because he had nothing to do with that one. And it is my contention that Hey Baby Doll is to me what Why Did You Do That to Me uh, is to everybody else. You know how everybody else was like, the real best song in A Star is Born is Why'd You Come On In Here With An Ass Like That? And I'm just like... (laughs) I never really got on board with that, but like, Hey Baby Doll serves that same function, which is this is the song that's supposed to represent the shallow, like, aspect of his career. And in my mind, I'm like, this is a bop. And I really respect the people who wrote it for that particular, like, to thread that particular needle in the movie. I'm like, that takes some skill. If Hey Baby Doll is a Sweet Caroline ripoff, honestly, it's better than Sweet Caroline. Fuck that song. But okay, but no, yeah. I wanted to bring up the original song thing intentionally because it's not just the Pacino Golden Globe nomination that we can kind of talk about. 2015, a, a notoriously cursed original song year. We've talked about it before, but it's worth talking about it again because we we can rant and rave all day about uh, the song nominees that year. They were bad. They were bad song nominees pretty bad we have um the hunting ground song that gaga did with diane warren honestly like i know that you're like go all the way back in time that should have won it was you know like i understand the complaints about that song but it's definitely the best in that of the nominees like i'm not saying it was the best song of that year maybe not the best of all i probably i would have voted for 50 shades of gray the weekend song it was okay. That was that was. The, I have no. I have no beef with that song. But uh, if given the wild, the wild card aspect of Diane Warren being involved with the one, all things being equal, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull for the Diane Warren one. Save us the next, you know, however many years right. it's gonna take for her to win. Though I don't think it's unreasonable to guess that she would win this year. This this year meaning 2021. Up against a lot, I mean, like, there's a lot of, you know, oh, famous names yeah. in there, kind of splitting there's, some votes. There are, so, I would, I would, I would agree with you if it was a song, if it was a year like last year where the only really notable song that stood out was Husevik and Husevik was sadly never going to win, even though it deserved. Uh, that was up against four really kind of like, I dare you to 
remember a single line or lyric or bar <laughs> from any one of those songs. Uh, all apologies to her, but like snoozerama. Ladies and gentlemen, her. Um, but like this year, I think because you have like Encanto being such a big hit, and I know it nominated the right. Song. I mean, I ultimately think it's Encanto. I just don't think you know. Right. Uh, don't just write out Diane Warren at, this year. I I don't know between Encanto and and No Time to Die. Now that we're in our Bond, uh, and we'll talk about that in a second when we talk about 2015, we're in our Bond era in Best Original Song. Like, I think Diane's gonna have to gonna have to chug along till next year. But I ultimately don't think we're in a Bond era, uh, even though like there's two Bond song wins, but like. Skyfall was never not gonna win, and it was like such a huge song, and like Skyfall right. being a huge song is the reason why Spectre ultimately wins in 2015, especially when it's like it's not a great lineup, and like this is maybe one that people recognize and have heard. Even I'm not sure. I'm not horrendous. sure you're not making my case for me though as to why No Time to Die could win. I don't think No Time to Die will win. I do think it's going to be Encanto, but I think No Time to Die is yeah. a strong second place. Like I like that song. I not, again, I couldn't tell you a single line from that song. Like, huh? uh, I mean, one of them I imagine. Well, is no I mean, time we've been die. listening to that song for what three years now. Yeah, so no, it also doesn't feel like the freshest right. nominee. Yeah, I think Encanto's going to win. Plus, it's Lin's uh, EGOT, and and that'll be great. And a year where he where he deserves is he got like he had such a strong year across the board in terms of all of the movies that he had a hand in that like that to me makes like you know bigger picture sense that this is the year that he gets his he got so good for him if billy eilish wins then i am absolutely wrong and we are living in a james bond era of you know but i don't think that's the case right all right anyway 2015, we mentioned Spectre, Writings on the Wall, wins for Sam Smith, the very first uh, openly gay Oscar winner of all time. Um, (laughs) Fifty Shades of Grey earned it. You mentioned The Hunting Ground Till It Happens to You. You mentioned we also had nominations for the, this was in the J. Ralph era of uh, uh, J. Ralph writing songs for documentaries that weren't even nominated for Best Documentary, and yet it gets a Best Song nomination. What an oddly specific And this wasn't even the last one. That was his uh, second of three in a span of five years to to go that way. Um, Nominations for Chasing Ice, and then uh, in 2015 it was Racing Extinction, and then in 2016 it was Jim, the James Foley story. Truly, J. Ralph was was living uh, Sugar Cane style. Um, and then the fifth nominee, which can get right out of here, as far as I'm concerned, was Simple Song Number 3 from Youth, which, go actually fuck yourself. Like, honestly, <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing here? You're telling me Danny Collins' Hey Baby Doll couldn't have bested that song? Get the hell out of here. I mean, the thing is, I would have, of course... Those song nominations, like the J. Ralph nomination, uh, make people just like roll their eyes when it happened. I would have loved a Danny Collins nomination because people would just be like, "What?" <laughs> and also, then you know, Al not, Pacino shows up to perform. This on is the what Oscars. I'm saying. This is what I'm <laughs> opening the ceremony with "Hey Baby Doll." You could have gotten not? Al Pacino on stage to sing a Neil Diamond esque bop. Fuck you for not having that happen, Oscar voters. Like, <laughs> fuck you forever. Hate you so much. 
Ah, <laughs> oh, it deserved. It would of those nominees, it would have been my absolute runaway favorite. I would have been able to be so obnoxious about being like, you know, what deserves to win is the Danny Collins song, and everybody would have looked at me sideways. But I would have been right, and history would have proven me correct. So it would have been a better winner than uh, Writings on the Wall. Let's just say that. Definitely. What is the line you always say about Writings on the Wall? That it, what it sounds like? It's it always makes me laugh, and now I can't think of it. Um, I always feel like it sounds like you know. Dying dolphins, or That's, something. Yeah, like this that. is sort like, of this is the yeah, this is the thing. Anyway, um, all right, Danny Collins, based on uh, a thing that actually happened, which was uh, a a singer by the name of, and give me a second while I find his name, because uh, it Steve Tilston, who I've never heard of before, but apparently, yeah, uh. In 1971, John Lennon and Yoko Ono wrote a letter to this guy, who was an English sort of folk singer, and that letter was not found until 20, let's see, 34 years, let me do some quick math, 2005, I guess. 34 years that letter uh, remained unknown to this guy. Finally finds it, of course, John is long dead by that point, the letter signed by, interestingly, in real life, the letter was signed by John and Yoko together. So this movie is Yoko Erasure, which you know I don't stand for. But <laughs> um, essentially saying sort of similar sentiments to this is just like money doesn't change your uh, your life the way you think it does. Essentially just sort of like sort of what it's saying in the movie, which is just like keep your integrity and yada, yada, yada. And what I find especially fascinating about this is that... This doesn't get uncovered until the 2000s. And yet, there had been a Simpsons episode where Marge Simpson finds a response, or gets a response to a long-ago fan letter that she wrote Ringo Starr. Do you remember this one? No. Where, like, it's the one where Marge, it's, it's maybe in, like, season four or five or something like that, where... Marge had written a fan letter to Ringo Starr. It had gotten lost in the shuffle. He finally finds it, uh, in like years and years later and writes a response being like, she had sent him a piece of like art that she painted and he's like, keep it up with the art and whatever. And that inspires her to, uh, go back into painting or whatever for an episode. And I was like, even in actual real, like the Simpsons did it phenomenon truly is unbeatable because, uh, from the grave, John Lennon managed to prove Simpsons did it right because uh, this thing actually happened, and it's like it's so similar to that. Anyway, um, it's the it's the inspiration then for this movie, uh, Danny Collins, where uh, the singer is not this like folk singer, but he's sort of again a Neil Diamond type. Who and Neil Diamond's career is actually really interesting. I wish I had had more time to kind of really delve into that because he's one of those guys like Neil Diamond performed at the concert that was filmed for the last waltz like the the band's concert alongside like neil young and Joni mitchell and and all these sort of like you know serious like great like important artists from the the late 60s early 70s and there's like neil diamond who's like kind of a rad like neil diamond's songbook is i would say like a it's a all-time karaoke fave of mine to delve into the Neil Diamond songbook. Don't worry, Chris, I don't sing Sweet Caroline. That song is played out. But good. Um, I would leave. I understand. Um, I know. I know enough. I will sing America, though, his song from The Jazz Singer, because that is a jam. <laughs> um, 
But he's one of those people who's just sort of like, uh, real respect always eluded him, even though he was always kind of in this greater general group of uh, popular singers. And so it's an interesting type of singer. It keeps this movie, I think, from becoming too self-serious and going down the road of like, um, and again, we mentioned A Star is Born earlier, and I like A Star is Born a lot, but there's that template of like, great musician brought down by his demons or whatever. And this one is a little bit more lighthearted than that. I think because you have this guy who's like, his career is, you know, making, you it's know, 60 something old ladies, you know, come to the club or whatever. Well, and he's not, he's not like playing arenas. He sells out the Greek at the beginning of the right. movie, which right. a back to a star is born. Um, Cause they filmed that at the Greek, right? No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I can't. I can't wrong. swear I to know. it, but uh, it has the it has the general taste and mouthfeel of being right. And you know what? That's uh, <laughs> that's good enough for me. It's the shallow stage. Yes. Yeah. I think that's right. I don't know. I don't kind know of? LA. No. I don't, I don't know LA. I know, I know the Grove. I know the Warner Famously. Brothers Studio Tour. That's about it. Like that's that's basically it. I need anyway. to go to L.A. with you just to go to the Grove. I, it, that would be like, uh, you know, I feel like seeing you at the Grove is like seeing a Disney gay at Disney World. Like, We'll get a Wetzel's Pretzels. We'll, you know, walk around. I mean, this is, this is the thing. There's really not a ton to do there. This is, my, this is why it's my happy place. There's not really a lot to do. You can just sort of sit and imagine yourself in a life that is not your own. And truly, that's all the vacation that I need. <laughs> so that's fine. Um, so yeah, I think this movie doesn't sort of wallow in, uh, like even when he backslides and he sort of does coke backstage with his, uh, his, uh, former fiance or whatever. And which is like just the perfunctory thing that it's like, you need one more bit of conflict for the movie to like, yes, you know, yes. Hit a running time. It really, truly the movie very kindly, if it's this movie, knows that, like, if it's going to go into cliches and it's going to sort of follow this very sort of well-trod path through these familiar beats, it's not going to make you linger for too long in the parts where you know we just have to get past this, right? We, we right. just have to get past It doesn't take point. itself too seriously or, like, try to be more than it is. And yet, it also doesn't... It doesn't take itself too unseriously either like it hits a really right. actually interestingly um sweet uh, interesting sweet spot where i mentioned the the jennifer garner's first scene i think hits a really good note where it's there's some sort of like sardonic humor to it but it's not silly and she's playing it i think exactly right she's trying to be there was not a small amount of uh Rosemary DeWitt's character from Margaret that, that, that I thought of, where it's just like, she doesn't have a problem with this guy, but on behalf of her husband, she does. She knows that this is the father who abandoned her husband. She she cannot help but find him a little charming, but she knows that she can't give him that because um, they're in a sort of a, a principled war against each other, right? And she's chosen the other side. And she... That first scene where she says, like, you should be ashamed of yourself and um, 
She's like, you actually lost out because I'm a really great daughter-in-law. And um, I just love that whole scene. And that scene, and then the plumber scene at the end of the movie, where he shows up and sort of tells Cannavale about how uh, Danny had helped put him into rehab when he really needed, when he sort of like hit the bottle and hit rock bottom. And, you know, Danny, who was, you know, probably drunker than he was, like drove him to a rehab. And, and then every year, uh, is it every year, or every month? I can't remember. Like sends him a crate of water bottles and it's just like, yeah. drink up, drink wherever he is in the world, wherever he is in the world. And it's one of those things where it's like so many movies stumble with the, this guy's a fuck up, but we really like him anyway. And so many movies feel like they are telling you something that you don't ultimately want to listen to when they're telling right. you that, right? Like, find this guy charming, find this guy redeemable. And this movie manages to thread that needle, and I think that scene really helps land it, where the movie really has to get to a point where Cannavale, with all that's going on in his life, his wife's going to have a baby, he's maybe dying, his other child has, like, special needs, and... Uh, he's got this sort of faithless father trying to worm his way back into his life. We as the audience have to understand why he ultimately would want to let him back into his life. And I think that plumber scene, you know, sells it well. The more I talk about this movie, the more I'm just like, it It does a thing that a lot of other movies really can't do or fuck up. And well, I think the part I of the reason that. it does that is like, Danny doesn't really fuck up that much he's just like a drunk rock star like we get the i mean like i feel like this movie's a a little afraid of making him a little thornier you know because he yeah like we get the detail that you know his son's mother didn't want danny around too so it's like it wasn't necessarily like just danny's choice to abandon his child which isn't you know insignificant right? right but like and, but we also don't necessarily get the idea that it was abandonment. Like, he knows where he is, like, he... Right. And, like, it was made clear to him to, like, not be around, so it's like... But, you know. Well, and, and the movie he's... also makes the smart decision to not have Cannavale be too pissy about it, either. Right. Like, like it manages to, like, modulate that really well. It makes me think of a movie like... Weirdly enough, War of the Worlds, the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds, where he's playing a similar character and and with a similar story problem that I find in a lot of these movies, which is by the time the movie starts, this guy's already abandoned his kid or like been a been a more derelict father than he should be. Right. And Mm -hmm. as an audience, we didn't see any of that. So we just see a movie star that we love, Tom Cruise, Al Pacino. Right. So we're like already on this guy's side and the movie has to then take this child character and make you understand because like logically you the kid wouldn't want this guy back because like fuck this guy and in danny collins i think it again threads the needle with the Cannavale character where like he's stubborn about it he does not want pacino back into his life but he sort of allows himself to be steamrolled by the force of this guy's personality, which is like kind of this like force of nature thing. Whereas in something like War of the Worlds, Spiel and you know, I like a lot parts of that movie. But I think Same. one of the things that everybody hates about that movie is the teenage son. And I think part of it is and a lot of that sort of shit fell on the actor, which I kind of felt bad for because it was like this was He's bad actor. <laughs> this was doomed from the start from the page though, because it's like right. you know, you're not gonna make this kid who is 
big picture, you know, in the right about this, but in terms of what we're, we're seeing, we're never going to sympathize with him because he's being a brat to Tom Cruise, who we all love. So it's like, I don't know. Once again, like Danny Collins manages to like be the gallant to uh, other films goofus, I guess. <laughs> Anyway, I mean, but I interrupted you. Well, no, I mean, like, you kind of brought some of this up in your plot description in that the, because you said, you just said Bobby Cannavale doesn't get to be too much of a jerk about it. And, like, the one time where he, like, puts his foot down is like, no, absolutely yeah. not, is the two scenes where there's conflict towards the end because they walk backstage and uh, Danny has done some coke because the nerves of you know trying out his new song for his audience which he chickens out of doing right and like immediately it's just like no you're doing this in front of your granddaughter and you're blah 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 he wasn't really doing it in front of his granddaughter Eh. you maybe just don't bring that child backstage at a bar well i don't know i was sort of on Connevala's side in that scene where it's just like we had gotten to the point where uh, there was no real reason to think like he was going to be like blowing lines backstage after his like sure. again just like you know uh, he had been sort of this worked so hard to be this benign sort of grandfatherly figure so it's just it's more functional to the story yes. than like yes. organic i guess i don't know or like even like reasonable because he's getting drunk off his ass the whole time during sure. this. Like maybe not when he's caring for his son and trying to feed him like ramen while he's right. you know suffering from chemo. But and like also the Bobby Cannavale one is the one who like essentially kind of lies, like doesn't tell his wife that he's sick or whatever. Oh, there are complicated, like, these are more complicated characters than I think a a lesser movie would give us. I also think it's notable that we don't get the big Pacino breakdown scene. Like, we don't get a moment where he, like, falls to his knees and cries and sort of atones for everything. He, like, he comes around, but he comes around in this sort of very particular style, very particular to this character, which I also really liked. Damn, I really liked Danny Collins. It's so <laughs> weird. It's just like, it's so strange. I can't I mean, wait well, to this after this This is where we should movie... maybe talk about Pacino, because like, again, I would just underline that like, part of the reason why this movie is enjoyable and works is that Al Pacino is really good. And like, Al Pacino does walk that kind of line that you're totally. talking about in terms totally. of, you know... I can't being wait till actively after this... charming and not like charming because the script says he is right. Um, no, it's it's a charisma performance that also feels like it's a charisma performance from an actor who knows what he's doing and and an actor and it doesn't who... really get to play in that register that much. I do actually right. think he's playing somewhat in this register in House of Gucci, which is why I like him in House of Gucci and um. um once upon a time in Hollywood as, as briefly as it was like, I think we're back into a really good era of Pacino. I also really liked him in house of Gucci actually. Um, he's really funny in the Irishman too. I mean, whatever. Um, but like we're in a good, we're, we have kind of come out of a period of darkness and Danny Collins sort of falls in the, in the late middle of that period of darkness. It's actually sort of, you could read it as, and maybe we will be the ones to uh, start uh, turning this ship around, perceptively speaking. Uh, you could read Danny Collins as the first film of the new good Pacino era coming out of a, a really rough one. So I want to sort of 
page our way through the Pacino filmography for a second. I want to start right after Heat, because I feel like Heat feels like the culmination of Oscar-winning early 90s Pacino, where he was still sort of like really bringing the heat. We talked about Carlito's Way. We talked about Frankie and Johnny. Um, and, And I feel like once Heat happens, that feels like the apex of everybody had been waiting for Pacino De Niro to happen. And then it happens. And so there's a little bit of a like post heat hangover where like the, the vibe is still kind of there. City Hall, Donnie Brasco. These are, you know, movies that still sort of feel like within that vibe. I know people really, really loved Donnie Brasco and especially him in it. Um, Devil's Advocate is trash and I love it. It's trash and I love it. And he is amazing in it. Like that's one of those, uh, performances that is just like, well, only Pacino could have done it. And I wouldn't Don't have make wanted... him take his devil horns off. He's Al Pacino. <laughs> it's one of those performances. Then it's like, I wouldn't have wanted the better version of this performance because the, the quote unquote bad version of it, the over the top, uh, insanely like, uh, yelling and and the line readings are just off the charts that's the thing that i love the most about that movie and and would have uh wouldn't would not have wanted it any other way 99 he does the insider which he Hell yeah. he's the lead of the insider but he gets completely overshadowed by russell crowe and crowe gets the oscar nomination plumber interestingly enough danny collins an insider reunion between uh al pacino and uh christopher plumber plumber should have been nominated for the oscar probably should have won absolutely um was amazing in that movie as mike wallace uh, uh and we were all living god my second sugarcane reference in uh in this entire episode <laughs> Girl, that documentary, Mike Wallace is here. Only because of you do I think of Sugarcane when I think of Mike Wallace, you freaking psycho. Because Girl, Mike Wallace is here, and I am living for it. It's You You tweeted that the one day, and I just I lost my fucking mind. You're an absolutely insane person. <laughs> um, uh, and then Any Given Sunday that same year, the Oliver Stone movie, which is a I've very forgotten. I've only seen it once and Oliver. hated it. Yeah, that did not go over well. Um, and that was another one where uh, he's sort of, he's you start to see more and more him falling into these like, and she's got a great ass, like that line from uh, from Heat. Like that kind of register comes around more and more. Although, uh, as I sort of page through, Insomnia 2002 is it, you know, is actively sort of moving against that. It's very... He's low key Pacino. He's very I think he's very good in that. I think kind of everybody is very good in that. Underrated Christopher Nolan movie, Insomnia. Um I've not seen Simone. Have you seen Simone? <laughs> of course I've seen Simone. It's a disaster. <laughs> is he particularly bad in it? I mean everything is particularly bad sure. in Simone. Sure. Um Poor Andrew Nichol. Oh man, we got uh, maybe when we Whenever we hang out again, I'm making you watch Simone. Oh, God. All right. Okay. Um, And I think then we move into this era where he keeps getting cast in these sort of would-be potboiler, mid-level adult action dramas that pair him often with other big co-stars. So, like, The Recruit in 2003 with uh, Colin Farrell. Which also gets wrapped up in an odd little era for Colin Farrell, where they're still trying to figure out what to do with him. Um, that movie doesn't really register 
ultimately. He's in a small role in Geely, sort of the paying Martin Brest back for the uh, for the Oscar, I guess, um, showing up in. And Geely's a disaster, and it doesn't really fall on Pacino because it's too busy falling on Ben and J-Lo. Um, Merchant of Venice felt like uh, a a kind of a wannabe Oscar play that never really caught traction. Right. Right. We could do that for the pod. And uh, it didn't get it like a costume nomination or something, did it? I don't think so. I don't think it did. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, two for the money, which I totally had absolutely completely forgotten. Uh, it's, That's McConaughey. Yeah. Pacino McConaughey directed by DJ Caruso, the uh, Disturbia guy. Sure. Um, you can't skip sports. over Angels in America, though. Oh, that's true. I'm only going through the films. That's true. 2003, he's in Angels in America. I remember, interestingly enough, at the time, I think the tenor of reviews, sort of a lot of them delved into, like, who in the cast is doing better than others. And a lot of the reviews kind of focused on this thing that, like, the lesser, like, the big stars were going big, and the lesser known stars were the real show there, where it was, like, Justin Kirk, uh, Jeffrey Wright, Mary Louise Parker were... Uh, the performances that people kept talking about and like Pacino more so like Meryl got her, you know, her laurels and obviously they all won Emmys Pacino and Meryl and Jeffrey Wright and Mary Louise uh, all won Emmys. And, um, but anyway, where was I going with this? Oh, but a lot of the reviews kind of slighted Pacino as going too big as Roy Cohn, so too over the top to which I say, a that's crazy. Every other performance I've seen of Angels in America has had a Roy Cohn that's gone actually bigger. And he's so good in it. The scene, I which I will watch on its own just when I'm, you know, needing a little bit of, like, pep to my step, is the uh, the scene where it's him and Patrick Wilson and it's the... Uh, you you want to make the law or subject to it. Uh, you want to be nice or you want to be effective. That scene. That sweet, unprepossessing woman. Two kids, boo-hoo-hoo. Reminded us all of our little Jewish mamas. She came this close to getting life. I pleaded till I wept to put her in the chair. Me. I did that. I'd have fucking pulled the switch myself if they let me. Why? Because I fucking hate traitors. Because I fucking hate communists. Was it legal? Fuck legal. Am I a nice man? Fuck nice. They say terrible things about me in the nation. Fuck the nation. You want to be nice or you want to be effective? You want to make the law or subject to it? Choose. Your wife chose. Fuck nice. Which fucking rules. And it's like he's literally slobbering in that scene, but I don't give a fuck he's so good in that <laughs> miniseries i don't know i find him tremendous what did you think of him in angels in america oh he's amazing and I, I, I nobody is not doing a good job in angels in america the person that i always feel like gets the raw deal and it's partly just the character is ben shankman 100 uh-huh. um, he's phenomenal it, in that he's so it's one of those things where it's a crime that you could only give out one supporting actor award for that because, like, you could have given four, right? Like, was he the one that wasn't Emmy nominated? I'm going to look at this really fast. I think ultimately they were all Emmy nominated, but I think he was the one who was maybe left out of the Globes or something. He was definitely, like, the odd man out. Um, I think Justin Kirk was the one that was left out of the Globes. Let me look at this. Oh, one. you could be right. 
The Globes also might have slotted Justin Kirk in as a lead, and he didn't get nominated as a lead, which he is, you know... No, the the Emmys nominated everyone, it looks like. Yeah. The weird thing is they have Justin Kirk as supporting. Right, And, and, and he ultimately, I mean... He would have been toast up to uh, up against Pacino anyway. I think Kirk is the one I would have given the Emmy to in lead over Pacino, even though I did love Pacino. But like, God, I Justin would Kirk's agree. Phenomenal on that. Um, but like, yeah, Jeffrey the Globes Wright, didn't nominate um, Justin Kirk. Yeah, I have a feeling because you know Emma how the, the Golden Globes sort of make their own decisions as to who's lead and who's supporting. That's why they put Rooney Mara and Alicia Vikander in lead that year. Uh, for uh when they were both in supporting uh, the other thing the about supporting at the globes is they combine all of the like comedy yes, miniseries all of television yeah. right um but yeah justin kirk's phenomenal in that but also like jeffrey wright richly deserved an emmy for that as well so like you know emmys for all as far as i was concerned in that um but yes thank you for bringing that up i was going through just his film filmography um 2007, he makes a movie called 88 Minutes. I dare you to say one thing about 88 Minutes. <laughs> what? I can't even remember the poster for 88 Minutes. What is this? I'll tell you what. It's 110 minutes long as a movie. So, like, it is, it <laughs> is false advertising. Lies. It is a, that movie is lies. The supporting cast for this movie is what? So it's Pacino, and then it's Alicia Witt, Lily Sobieski, Amy Brenneman, Deborah Kara Unger. It's like... Okay. Of a, a very particular strata of actresses who like sort of and again heat reunion Pacino Amy Brenneman um a particular strata of I don't know like actresses who were just like who were never going to get any kind of billing so it really is just like Pacino and everybody else he's like the only really star in that movie um again seems like it's a cop movie. He certainly on the poster with him in a dark suit holding a holding a gun certainly looks like he's uh, he's a cop. Anyway, uh, he's also in Ocean's Thirteen in two thousand eleven, which underrated Ocean's movie. I gotta try it again. I did not. I, feel like I was not feeling it. Think that Thirteen is just like kind of boring and by the numbers. I thought it was really great. All right, I'll try it again. I think uh, it's a lot of fun. 2008, another John Avnet movie. John Avnet had directed uh, 88 Minutes uh, and then uh, comes back again to direct Righteous Kill, which is another Pacino De Niro movie that does not get nearly the fanfare that uh, Heat did for good reason. Um, he's another cop in that. He's in... Okay, I have not seen The Son of No One, which is the Dido Montiel movie from 2011, which would make it after Guide to Recognizing Your Saints. Interesting. Is it? I can't... All right. I don't know. Uh, Guide to Recognize... Yes, Guide to Recognize Your Saints is 2006. Fighting is 2009. And then Son of No One is 2011. The poster for Son of No One, I'm only saying it's a Channing Tatum movie where he plays a cop. Um, but a it's only notable... by no one. Uh, well, yeah. The, but the, the, the credits line goes, Channing Tatum, Tracy Morgan, Katie Holmes, Ray Liotta... With Juliette Binoche and Al Pacino. <laughs> this that is very Drew Drogi Chloe. For the ages, right there. Like, that is a, a credit block for the ages. All right. 
He's uh, also played Jack Kevorkian on HBO and You Don't Know Jack, which, like, Angels right. in America kind of ushers in this era of the, like, finger quotes good because I haven't seen any of it, can't really speak to it, but he's, like, going and doing HBO movies and then a bunch of these, like, shitty cop movies. Well, right, and it's not just HBO movies. It is a a cavalcade of HBO movies where he's playing notorious real-life figures. So he's literally, right. he goes from playing Roy Cohn in Angels in America, which, like, Angels in America does not deserve to be roped in with all these other ones, but just on the fact that he's playing a real-life son of a bitch, Ray, Roy Cohn. Then he goes to play Dr. Jack Kevorkian in You Don't Know Jack in 2010, Phil Spector in uh, Phil Spector 2013, and then Joe Paterno in Paterno 2018. And... Two of those are directed by Barry Levinson. Uh, Phil Spector is directed by David Mamet. Um, so it's like these are these are TV biopics with some real Hollywood heft behind them, right? But it's it's Maya Rudolph to what end, right? To those ones, just like, <laughs> what are what are we doing here? Why are we doing this? What's going on? I don't understand. And he got Emmy nominated for I want to say all of them, if not like three out of four, but. Uh, I don't know, man. I just don't know. Uh, 2011, he plays himself in Jack and Jill. It's a Dunkachino. We all, we all <laughs> love it. We all have watched it, and I have uh, not watched uh, Jack and Jill. I no, can't. but you've seen you've seen the Dunkachino. Sure, 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 sure. That's what I mean that we've all watched. Yes. Uh, no, you're fine if you haven't watched Jack and Jill, but just like seek out the Dunkachino part. It's unhinged and. Uh, a credit to society as far as I'm concerned. Uh, then, of course, the uh, great stand-up guys, Oscar-winning movie, if the Oscars were only handed out by my dad. Um, <laughs> der, uh, okay, what is the Salome, wild Salome, like, he, deal? He, I have he no idea. He filmed it with this. Jessica Chastain, but it was also on the stage, I believe. I haven't actually seen it. It it had sat around for a while and then didn't get released until like Jessica Chastain has multiple Oscar nominations. So, cause like wild Salome is one of those movies. It was written and directed by Pacino. Uh, and then he started, that was part of the, whenever you only ever heard about it, when we, people talked about Jessica Chastain's insane 2011, where it was like, it was the movies that everybody at least saw or heard about, which was tree of life and take shelter and um oh what were the other ones uh, texas killing fields was a movie that like again sort of like wild salami like nobody saw texas killing fields but it sort of got roped into um jessica chastain you know, being in a dozen in movies that are released in a year right yeah. exactly and so why is it so hard to find jessica chastain's filmography on her wikipedia page wikipedia's gotta fucking get its shit together i'm sorry just like standardize this shit because i shouldn't have to just so you like, can find a list exactly all i come to this thing for is a list all right whatever I'm we come now. to this place for lists we come to this place <laughs> for jessica chastain's filmography and then so and then so Salome in 2013 is Pacino directing a follow-up movie that is a quasi quasi fictional quasi documentary companion piece to Wild Salome. I don't know. Sure. I genuinely I I I have I've seen neither so I really shouldn't speak on either one of them. But anyway, and then ultimately 2014 2014 is my first ever tiff and 
I am making my decisions. I'm also uh, not press accredited fully. So I'm making like, I'm buying public tickets and I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I generally, this was my first pancake of a, of a tiff. So I really was, uh, you know, feeling my way around. And ultimately I made the bad decisions to see both the humbling and Manglehorn, both of the Al Pacino movies that were at TIFF that year. Um, uh, the humbling directed by Barry Levinson, again, another, uh, Pacino Levinson movie that is Pacino and Greta Gerwig as a like romantic, uh, pair. And it's uh-huh. so bad. It's just <laughs> really, really bad. Um, and then Manglehorn got a little bit of uh, not eh, maybe acclaim. Manglehorn had played uh, Venice that same year, and it was Pacino. It was David Gordon Green, uh, and it was Pacino and Holly Hunter. The and list of David Gordon Green movies that are not real movies but have right. played Venice are wild. Yeah, it's true. Um, David Gordon Green, a really odd filmography in that, like, some of the ones that don't exist, I actually really like. Some of the ones that do exist, I don't. It's like, there's no rhyme or reason to what David Gordon Green's I like and what I don't. It's really strange. But Manglehorn is one of those movies that, like, if you squint hard enough, it's a good movie, but mostly it's just kind of long and uh, unengaging. It's a, <laughs> I say long, it's 97 minutes. It felt very long, um, even though it is not long. It's a so long anyway, 97 so those two movies kind of lead us up to Danny Collins. So it had been a uh, a, a desert uh, of a, of a career period for Pacino. I think in terms of this was when you sort of you looked at Al Pacino's presence in a movie and you no longer felt like that made it a must see movie. Again, uh, mistakes I had made at TIFF, notwithstanding. Um, so Danny Collins comes around and the fact that it it got completely kind of brushed aside and nobody really anticipated it and nobody felt like they really needed to see it. That was kind of the result of, you know, a good 15 years, if not longer, of really spotty career decisions in terms of in terms of feature films at the very least. Oh, yeah. And so nobody saw it, and nobody really paid attention to it. And it's up to us now, seven years later, to ring the bell for this, I'm just going to say, unimpeachable classic? No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I feel like as this podcast goes along, I'm like, Nobel Peace Prize winner, uh, Danny Collins? Um, uh, but, uh, Guggenheim yeah. Grant recipient, Danny Collins? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Uh, statue of Danny Collins in New York Harbor. Okay. Um, that would actually be kind of a rad statue. His shirt would be like unbuttoned all the way and, uh, <laughs> and his like crucifix pendant kind of uh, dangling. If you're going to have a statue of Danny Collins, like it, it, it's obviously like, you know, whatever you make statues out of steel. I don't know. I'm not an engineer, but like there has to be a fabric component. Like his open sure. shirt has to be blowing in the wind. Right. Yes, I agree. I agree with that. Um, You've mentioned the the sort of perfunctory nature of the romance with Annette Benning, and yet I also think Annette Benning's charming in this movie, sort of irrespective of the of how strong I find that storyline. 
Um, Jordan Hoffman is absolutely right that she is playing a Diane Keaton character or giving yeah. a Diane Keaton performance. They do her so dirty by giving her the most quintessential, like, Hilton in New Jersey manager haircut that, like, doesn't look like a wig. So I think they cut her hair to look like that. That's her commitment to the role, Christopher. It's her commitment She's to really... the craft. And obviously, Dan Fogelman liked working with her enough that he decided to hit her with a bus. And uh, this is my question: himself. what What does Dan Fogelman have on Annette Benning? <laughs> Did he find her Hillary Swank voodoo doll? What 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 happened here? Maybe she just likes working with him. I don't know. I mean, again, he doesn't seem like Beelzebub or anything like that. I know he's sort of uh, he's become a punchline, and like life itself is powerful bad. Like, trust me. Of his uh, directorial uh, efforts, Danny Collins is the good one, and life itself is the horrible one. Um, we, <laughs> we may end up uh, talking about that more in, uh, in a future. We'll, uh, yes, yes. Um, can we talk about this hotel, though, since we're now this talking about the charming Annette Benning as the hotel manager? Platonic ideal of a Hilton that exists at the like far end of an office park or something like that. Yes. Like you could you can easily sort of picture exactly like where like off of a highway off ramp that like nobody really takes unless they work at like you know, Viridian Dynamics or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just like Danny Collins no... is not not forty percent a Hilton commercial. This movie should be yeah. available free to all Hilton Honors members. It it's a movie that tells you that the Hilton is a co- Hilton hotels are accommodating enough that they will um, install a Steinway piano in your hotel suite, even though I don't. As know we how learn that... later, it takes several hours to get it in there. I mean, out. I, I'm surprised it it you could you could do it at all. Like getting a piano in and out of a, in a of a hotel room, like that just feels impractical. And yet, uh, and they're so accommodating, and the staff is so nice, and and you can play uh, kindly matchmaker to the fresh faced <laughs> valet and also check in girl Josh pa- Josh Peck and Melissa Benoist in this movie. I was gonna say it's uh, the the finer details of this movie are in all of the Hilton sequences because yeah. who works at a Hilton in New Jersey in the end of a car park? Josh Peck and Melissa Benoist perfectly cast for, to be those people. Um, it seemed for a second like they were setting up a kind of uh, Diego Luna and Zoe Saldana in the terminal, the terminal kind of a thing that we were going to have to sort of watch Danny sort of shepherd their little romance and we'd maybe get a little like complication in there and they'd have to find their way back to each other, whatever. And the movie ultimately is like, we're just going to like set up this idea that these two are cute and kind of flirty with each other. And, and then like, Danny gets more bonus points from us because it's like, you know what? That's right. Danny's doing like where and Danny gives away his car to Josh Peck. Could not tell you what the character name is. He's Josh Peck. Yeah. Uh, but also the movie kind of just sort of like, uh, they're like their their storyline is a paper sailboat and it kind of just like kicks it off into the lake and lets it sort of go on its own path and like you don't really need to like figure out more about it again the movie's just like you know like etc cetera, etc cetera. you know they're cute and they and they'll probably you know date and whatever but we don't really need to pay a ton of attention to it because it's not the point of the movie and the romance okay between him and 
Benning, though, is so, like, perfunctory. Like, there was a script note of, like, there should be a romance in here. Or, like, he needs somebody to, like, talk to about, like, the Lennon letter. Which, like, really is not much of the movie. And, like, he performs his song for her. He's trying to get her to go to dinner with him. and like. And yet, though... The scenes of the two of them sort of at the hotel bar kind of bantering back and forth with each other, I was charmed. Yeah, I was was charmed. I loved that um, she kind of was put off by his celebrity and, like, outright like, I don't like your music to Right. Right. It was cute. I liked it. Um, And yet also, she's not totally this, like... uh, total like frigid cliche kind of like you know can't can't open up and like she's she 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 seems like an actual person it doesn't seem like there's she doesn't have this like oh well my husband left me and i haven't you know allowed myself to love since or anything like that it just seems it it relaxed i think so much of this movie rides on being a more relaxed version of lesser movies right right fogelman's filmography i want to sort of uh, sort of not to the degree that we went into Pacino, but it's a real collection of just sort of middle of the road stuff, right? Where like, I haven't really seen all of it. Cars is obviously like the Pixar movie that nobody likes, but like Bolt and Tangled, both of movies, which and like Cars, he was one of like 20 screenwriters or whatever. So like, I don't know how much we can blame uh, Cars on him, but like he's the screenwriter Credit screenwriter on both Bolt and Tangled, both of which movies seemed like got received on degrees of like good to fine. And I know some people who actually kind of ride for Tangled and like Tangled cool. is fun. Um, he also writes the script for Fred Claus, a movie that I have not seen, but also like I don't know too many people who love Fred Claus. Although the cast of that movie is way better than it deserves. Like that movie stars. Vince Vaughn as Fred Claus, Paul Giamatti as Santa, also stars Rachel Weiss, Miranda Richardson, Kathy Bates, Elizabeth Banks, uh, John Michael Higgins, Ludacris, Kevin Spacey, which, like, whatever, but, like, Kevin Spacey's the two-time Oscar winner, and he's, like, ninth lead in Fred Claus. It's so weird. What an odd, what an odd thing. Basically what we're saying is... Dan Fogelman got his start writing movies for children, and seemingly <laughs> little has changed. Because, um, like, Crazy Stupid Love, like, none of these people are grown-ups. No. Like, no. none of these people behave like functioning adults. He did write The Guilt Trip. I don't, how do you feel about The Guilt Trip? I need to see it, and I would love for us to do The Guilt Trip sometime. We should. We should. So we, we have- talk about Barbara. We have precious few excuses to get to talk about Barbara, and we should take all of the ones we can get. I mean, we did Nuts, but that was a we while did, ago no, at this point. We had a great time talking about Nuts. I loved that. Um, we talked about Last Vegas as the uh, the stand-up guys that isn't stand-up guys, uh, which is, again, four old people. Stand-up a, guys, but in Vegas. A, a genre as bullet... But I think stand-up guys is also in Vegas. I could be wrong. <laughs> I'll ask is it dad. in, like, shitty Vegas? Like, not the Strip? Maybe it's like Reno, right? The uh, the the Reno version of it. I don't know. But stand up guys, I should do a trivia round. Pretend I. All right, I'm somebody say should hire one of us to talk about the like 
three or four old guys together cinematic universe. This is what I'm saying. Uh, forget about this after I say it, but I should do a trivia round on movies that are for old guys in a movie and make people like have to like tell which which are which because I think that would be very fun. It'd be like putting it'd be like putting a Jenga tower together or something. It's just sort of just like. Uh, Except it's like a Jenga tower that, you know, you think you've built the tower and then suddenly there's this other piece that's missing that, like, you didn't even know this exists. Because, like, you think you know all of the four old guy movies, but there's a bunch of four old guy movies. That's what I mean. So, all right. All right. Again, wipe this from your memory because I'm going to do it for trivia sometime. Um, And then he hasn't... uh, After Danny Collins comes life itself and then since then... He's been doing uh, This Is Us on TV, and he's on his Wikipedia. It says that he is a one of the writers on the upcoming Indiana Jones movie, along with that movie's going to be so fucking cursed. Like, listen, uh, all of the there are eight billion like cooks in this kitchen, right? Where it's like James Mangold is writer, uh, writer director. Both of the Butterworths, both Jez and John Henry Butterworth, are on that script. Uh, Fogelman's, you know, involved somehow. It's and obviously, like then you've got Spielberg as a producer, and obviously, it's probably you know, a Franken script that there have been multiple drafts floating around, and then they almost stitch certainly. them together. It's going to be horrible. Yeah. He also, I know there are people who ride for that TV show Gallivant that he did, the musical TV show Gallivant. I did not watch it, so I can't say anything about it. He also did that TV show when I worked at ABC uh, very briefly uh, called The Neighbors, which was Aliens Are Living Next Door. It was a really kind of pilloried concept, and like it was sort of the butt of a bunch of jokes at like that upfronts where like Jimmy Kimmel kind of like ripped it apart. Um, but I remember, again, as one of those ABC shows that I kind of watched passively while I worked there, and I was like, this could be worse as a dumb sitcom. Like, I've seen dumber, I've seen worse. So that's my uh, that's my rave review for uh, Dan Fogelman's The Neighbors. Well, we'll have multiple opportunities to talk about Dan Fogelman in the future. We sure will. Um, anyway, not the devil is my review of Dan Fogelman. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this um, withering praise. This person is not a war criminal. <laughs> not <laughs> right, exactly. Um once again, I don't know. I really loved Jennifer Garner in this. I just love when she's able to play in like there's not a whole lot of depth to this character. She gets like one or two characteristics, but she really she's able to sort of in a relaxed way make her feel real i don't know am she i plays overrating these real Garner? no she plays these real people and like you're not wrong to like mention it uh adjacent to juno or maybe that was me that did that juno over. which she should have won an oscar for i think we both because like that. she plays these kind of everyday people and makes interesting acting choices when she does yes Granted, we have done men, women, and children on this podcast in which she does not achieve that. Um, Is there something to the idea that she can sometimes be better as a supporting player than as a lead? I know that's not universally I think she's probably, there's, there's an element to her where I don't know if this is fully true, but like some of the choices she makes that like, 
I think we like and like we would be prone to praise make her seem like more of a character actress than she's really ever gotten to be. I mean, but I am. I don't know who, if I like, would say Jennifer Garner character actress. You know, I'm like, a I, right. I'm a I'm a I'm a massive Alias fan. So like, I'm never going to fully write her off as a leading person. And obviously, something like she does really well with something like Thirteen Going on Thirty. Although that is a very particular flavor of lead. Like she's being. I don't know. I don't know how much that can translate to a whole lot of other things, but. Yeah, I, I don't think, think I would probably say being cast either. as Electra in Daredevil and then the Electra movie right. probably ultimately was not good for oh, her no. career as an actress. Like well, aside from those movies being so poorly received, it's just like it got her pigeonholed in a way that like she was maybe never really going to excel at and like part of Alias, which like I've never really watched, but like I know enough people who watch Alias and love Alias that's like isn't part of the appeal for her there a certain level of mutability? Like, she's doing all these different disguises and, like... Sort of. Holding uh, on to secrets and... It is, except that the movie, the, the movie... The show also very quickly makes her personal life as important as the spy stuff. So, like, her romantic relationship with Michael Vartan and then, like, her relationship with uh, Victor Garber as her dad... So, yes, there is an element of the fact that, like, her spy stuff required her to be, you know, like, a chameleon in terms of uh, attitude. Uh, But, I don't know. There's a lot to Alias. I love that show. Every every six months, I'm like, I should do an Alias rewatch. And then I don't, because I don't have time to do anything. But, like, I should. Um, Yeah. What else do we want to talk about? Okay, can we talk about... Uh, we'll get it... All right, let's do the Golden Globes, actually, right now. Um, I do feel like he should have won the Golden Globe that year, now that I look <laughs> at it. He's nominated against... Le- 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 tick off the nominees for us. Okay, so Danny Collins at the Globes. This is 2015. Matt Damon wins for The Martian... People this is musical or comedy. This is the year that everybody makes their jokes about how The Martian isn't really a comedy, even though it's it's less of a fraud in comedy than other things that the Golden Globes have put in comedy. I will say. I also think if that. you're someone who's read the book and you like understand the movie on like that level of what this lead character's like voice and you know yeah. perspective is, you're less. Uh, you're less perturbed by that being called a comedy. Uh, Two performances from the horrendous The Big Short, Christian Bale, who would be nominated and supporting at the Oscars, also Steve Carell. Um, And then the performance that I think gets lumped together with Danny Collins because people are like, this isn't a real movie, no one saw that movie, Uh, is Mark Ruffalo in Infinitely Polar Bear, which is not supposed to be very good from what I've heard, and neither is Ruffalo. Um, Chris, how many the, times? Like, one how many times have seen you that. seen Infinitely Polar Bear? How many times have you watched it? Seven, zero times. Eight. Is it like a Christmas tradition? Do you I've watch watched it, it an infinite amount of times. This is what you're trying to say. Yes. Um, Zoe Saldana is in that movie. Interesting. All right. His yeah. Wife. No. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yes. So yeah, sort of two two nominations that year that were in the 
how is this a movie? And of course, that's also the same year that Maggie Smith is nominated for The Lady in the Van, which was only surprising <laughs> if you weren't paying attention to the exactly. fact that Maggie Smith had a movie called The Lady in the Van. Because if you knew those facts and those facts alone, you would know that she was she, almost certainly going to be nominated for that. For like, a Golden absolutely. Globe, absolutely. Well, the, I think also the disparity is like, this isn't necessarily actor lineup would make you think that like oh probably a shitty comedy year but that's not the case it's just like this was a really strong year for like female-led comedies right um train wreck that year spy that year grandma that year all nominated in comedy um what other comedies were that year that would have been better at uh can you give me half a second to just pull up a list um they nominated Paul Dano in supporting uh which I kind of I, I wonder if they mercy? considered yeah for love and mercy which I kind of wonder if they considered that a drama anyway but like I would say that's a lead performance the leads of that movie are Elizabeth Banks and Paul Dano Well that's one of those bifurcated timelines right where it's like Right so stuff... like you could if you're trying to be shifty in a campaign, you could just go whatever route you think you're going to get it. And I understand why they thought they would have gotten Paul Dano or more likely to get Paul Dano in supporting. But I think that's a lead performance. He could have been in that lineup and yeah, boosted it um, a little bit better. I'm sort of going through the movies of 2015, trying to pick out comedies. I mean, it, Bridge of Spies is not a comedy, but Tom Hanks is cold <laughs> throughout that entire movie it is very funny. It's a nice recurring bit. We'll say that uh, a comedy bit. Um, God, some of the movies this year that we talked about, The Walk was this year. Um, the Walk. Okay, I know that people were, on the not, people were not necessarily high on The Intern. I thought both De Niro and Anne Hathaway Oh, yeah, they could have been Globe nominees. Were good in The in Intern. Nancy Myers is The Intern. Filmed in my neighborhood as I was living there. A movie that asks the eternal question, what if Robert De Niro was a German shepherd? <laughs> Basically the... just like, not even a puppy. He's just like an old, like, lovely, kind dog that sits in your at your feet in that yeah. movie. We've also talked about this year before in regards to the musical comedy categories, I'm sure, because we did an episode on Ricky and the Flash, and I'm still surprised oh, yeah. that Meryl didn't get nominated for that, considering she gets nominated at the Globes all the time. Yeah. Um, Trainwreck, like I said, Schumer did get nominated for that, and good for her. Um, sorry, we can just cut out some of this dead air. It's fine, it's fine. Well, obviously, Ted 2 was the uh, the comedy hit of that year, and we can all recognize leaving. that. Um, I am glad Melissa McCarthy got nominated for Spy. Uh, she deserved it for that and also for The Heat, which I'll also always mention is the, the Paul Feig, Melissa McCarthy movie that I liked the best, even though Spy also rules. Like, no shade at all against that. I'm kind of surprised Pitch Perfect 2 didn't get anything because it was such a hit. Like, it made so much money. That does seem something that, like, the Globes would have done but like obviously they would have done it in actress where like there had real like competition and contenders there right 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 um uh, obviously paul blart mall cop 2 was robbed we all know this (laughs) we all recognize this um kind of surprised that something like while we're young noah bombeck's while we're young didn't show up because that was a well-reviewed uh sort of auteurist comedy 
it came out early that year. Like that was sort of a thing that makes it, you know, not sort of globe friendly. But I mean, the Marsh, I'm almost a little bit more surprised for just like how, you know, people try to shove things in campaigning. And it's like, obviously, the Martian is right there in the same year. But I'm a little surprised they didn't try to do it with Steve Jobs. As a comedy? Yeah. It's not not a comedy. Eh, it's not a comedy. I mean, maybe it's... I haven't seen it in a while, but like, it's, it's Sorkin. Like, almost any Sorkin thing could sure. be Sure. It is a drama with, with comedic beats every once in a while, but it is, it is... But like they could have, they could have, knowing that DiCaprio was going to be winning all season, that could have been their play to get you know, sure, sure, sure. something for Fat Spender. Ultimately, he would have been I... more likely to have beaten Matt Damon than he would have been to have beaten DiCaprio. Well, yes, I think that's definitely true. Um, also, I think we can all agree, pursuant to last week's episode, that we would have both nominated Eddie Redmayne for Best Comedic Performance for Jupiter Ascending and would have given him the win for that. That was Sure, 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 sure. All right, all right. Anyway, back to the back to the Globe nominees. Yeah, you really you you are uh the resident big short uh, hater of, of the two of us. I've had a weird horribly made movie. Uh... I am not as stupid as Adam McKay thinks I am. And neither is anyone else in the audience. No, I am. I'm definitely. I am. When it comes to that stuff, I am. I mean, it's it go. I think it goes beyond like understanding those things. I think he thinks that people are fundamentally idiots. Like, and you can't understand. Like, I don't know. I I can't keep making the same argument over and over it. I guess the one other thing that Danny Collins got, it won the Alliance of Women Film Journalists Award for Most Egregious Age Difference Between Leading Man and Love Interest for Al Pacino and Katarina Kaz, which, like, sure. But, I mean, like, the movie's also, like... Well, the movie doesn't exactly endorse that pairing. Like, the movie is making the point about that, that the women film journalists seem to also be making. Which I would is, also say Danny like learns that he is wrong in that, or like right. It's like, not just the movie; it's also the character doesn't endorse it. You know, right? It's it, within the universe of the movie. The movie is also looking askance at that. So, like, what is what's what's your problem? Like, I don't know. I feel like if you're going to have an award for most egregious age difference between the leading man and the love interest, it should at least be a, a leading man and love interest that are endorsed by the film. Right, right. Whereas the other nominees are Spectre for Daniel Craig and Leia Sadu, Irrational Man, Joaquin Phoenix, Emma Stone. I think the less said about that, the better. And then Freeheld, which is Julianne Moore and Elliot Page, but that is also a true story, so it kind of feels like you're shitting on the real people. And, and once again, and once again, if the whole point of this award, like, you are under no obligation to treat this as as a real award. This is a ultimately this is a this is a point in the guise of an award, right? You are making a point about a deficiency in Hollywood. So if you are making a point about how leading men and leading women are treated on unequal planes and we are given stories with these odd age gaps, it seems dumb to throw Freeheld in there as a kind of equal opportunity, whatever, when it's like, 
I don't know, find other targets. It's just, it's it's deeply silly to me. I feel like I keep bringing up the Alliance of Women film journalists when I want to complain about something that they did. Well, they have like, fun categories. It's fun to talk they about They do fun have categories. fun categories, but they're also, like, frequently really stupid. And <laughs> I don't know. They know. could have just given that win to a rational man, like you know. Right. It, obviously, it's not the biggest gap, but like, or you, even we know Spectre. What we're doing like Spectre, at least, is a big hit that is perpetuating the thing that you're annoyed by. So, like, just give it to that, and not like Danny Collins, this movie that nobody saw anyway, that is making the point that you are trying to make anyway. I don't know. Right. Silly. 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 Should we, should we move on to the IMDb game? Let's. Oh, uh, why don't I explain what the IMDb game is, though? Why don't I do that? Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they're most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Hooray! Would you like to give our guess first? I'll guess first. I say confidently. So my dirty secret, what I almost did in this episode, but I did not think that it would work, was do your twink actors quiz, but for fictional characters and make a (laughs) quiz that was Danny Collins or Michael Collins. That would then become Danny Collins. But wait, it's not just fictional characters. It's going to be, is it Danny Collins, Michael Collins, or is it Judy Collins? Wow. And then I would trick you again and go back and say, is it Danny Collins, Michael Collins, uh, Joan Collins, or did I say Judy Collins? I I was going to do Joan Collins, too. Uh, Or was it Tom Collins? Like the drink? Or the rent character? The rent character. Wow. But then maybe I could have also made a trick question and be like, that is actually the drink of Tom Collins. That's actually the the alcoholic (laughs) beverage. That, I would have run you out of town. So uh, I think it would have, the joke would have, like much like the rest of my jokes, it would have run straight into the ground uh, within a few seconds. Um, so instead, what I'm doing is I pulled a different Collins for you for uh-huh. your IMDb choice. I chose none other than Clifton Collins oh, Jr. Oh, boy. Okay. Star of many, many motion pictures. Yes. There's no television. Oh, dear. This is the thing, is Clifton Collins will show up as, like, the tenth lead in so many things. Um, well, one of them is probably Capote? Yes, Capote. He's so good He's actually good in quite good in Capote. I, Isn't it wild that, like, he got nothing for Capote? It is kind of wild. For his, It's so funny, interestingly, like, this year, that there was this odd drumbeat for, like, jockey clifton collins we've never awarded him for anything and i'm like we could have solved this problem uh, 15 years ago and just nominated him for capote like we should have but anyway exactly um all right traffic traffic correct all right here's where it gets crazy it's probably wrong but he is a lead in it so i am gonna guess jockey no not jockey all right that's fine it's not um, a bad guess because, like, I think the SEO of it would have given yeah. that movie a boost because he like won prizes for it. I think that's right. Um, and no television, so Westworld is not on there. No television. All right. I don't remember him on Westworld. He's um, he might not be in B 
beyond the first season, but he's one of the people who lives in one of like the the outposts. He's sort of a recurring uh, kind of quote unquote bad guy. You know, I never uh, watched part. the third season. I only watched parts of the second season. So Westworld truly feels rooted in the past for me. Like, I... oh, Westworld is very much a pre-pandemic show. I know it aired its third season early pandemic but by that point i was i literally made the decision where i was like there's too much stresses i have too many stressors in my life right. i can't throw westworld on top of that so uh yeah um i'm trying to th- i'm just trying to think of like what things i i remember him uh in oh maybe i'm thinking about somebody else this is the other thing is like i don't want to confuse him with another character actor is he in pacific rim I'm trying to think if he's in it, it, this won't count against you if he is not in Pacific Rim, but like he's in those type of action movies. Yes, he's in Pacific Rim. No, it's not on his known for. Okay. Uh, so you're getting your years. They're both 2009. One of them uh-huh. we've maybe covered on this podcast, meaning we have covered it on this podcast. Where the wild things are? No. No. 2009 movies that we've covered on this podcast. Um and interestingly, the movie we have covered on this podcast is a remake, and you could call the other 2009 movie a remake of sorts. A remake of sorts? What does that mean? The type of thing that, like, when uh, when IP gets revisited. Like a reboot? Yes. A reboot in 09. Star Trek. Star Trek, yes. Don't remember him in Star Trek. He is like the lead reporting person to um, Eric Bana. To Eric Bana. Oh, okay. He's a he's a Romulan. Okay. Yeah. All right. Other 2009 movie that we've done. He's also played a lot of these type of characters, I feel like. The type that he plays in the, the, the movie that I haven't thought of. Yes, if I if I give you his like profession or his role, I think it would give you the movie immediately. But oh, I think okay. you can get there on your own. What type his profession? So like a cop. Mm, he has played a lot of cops, I think, but not a cop. But you're not far off. A uh, oh, uh, like a military guy. Yes. Military movie in 09. Obviously not the Hurt Locker. That we've um, covered. That we've covered. Not Rendition. Bum 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 rendition. Um not Lions for Lambs. Not God. All of this has three major stars. Remember it's a remake. Right. Remake of a war movie in 09. Remake of a non-US war movie. You, I wouldn't call it a war movie, but there are military personnel. Oh, like a coming home from war movie. Yes. Oh, is it... Brothers? Yes. So Mommy and Uncle Tommy have sex all the time. Uh, he's 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 got to be Tobey Maguire's... Uh, army buddy or whatever yes yeah i think he's his commander sure sure, sure, build as major major 
Major Kava- Kavazos? Sure. Okay. All right. Chris, for you, I'm going to do the thing where I, that I sometimes do where I'm going to give you a choice. I'm going to give you the oh. Goldilocks choice of do you want the <laughs> hardest one, the easiest one, or the middlest one? Let's do the middlest one. All right. I've I've really embarrassed myself lately in IMDb games, but I'm not going to embarrass myself by just opt into the easiest choice. All right, all right. So it's a different me- type of embarrassment. I mentioned the uh, suspiciously deep cast of Fred Claus, uh, written by Dan Fogelman, <laughs> and one of the actresses that we've never done on the IMDb game who is in Fred Claus is one uh, Elizabeth Banks. So. Ooh. Give me the IMDb game for Elizabeth Banks. Is she acting in all of these? Uh, all of them are acting. One is a voice performance. Ooh. Ooh. No television. Also, how many Hunger Gameses are going to be in there? The first Hunger Games, for sure. The first Hunger Games is there. Okay. Hmm. I mean, there's got to be a comedy in there. Pitch Perfect? Not Pitch Perfect. Okay. I would have guessed that, too. Because I I, I think I would have thought, at the very least, her directing... She directs the second one, right? Yes? Yeah, I would have thought that would have like boosted the first picture. But anyway, not pitch perfect. I feel like definitely maybe has shown up for a few people before, so I gotta say definitely maybe. It's a it's a good impulse because I think you're right that it has for other people, but it's not definitely maybe. All right, so now you have three guesses. Years for those are 2014, 2014, and 2014. <laughs> great okay um uh well there was a hunger games movie in 2014 so there it's got to be that yes hunger games mocking j part one just because this is this is a weapon against me is it one of the fucking lego movies is the voice performance the first lego movie the lego movie <laughs> yes okay. so you got three um, of four 2014 elizabeth banks what else was she? Well, oh, wait it, a second. It, I will tell you, it got released in the United States in 2015. That this is where I was going because Love and Mercy, I think, premiered at TIFF in 2014 and then was released the next summer, Love if I Mercy. remember correctly. So I'm going to say Love and Mercy. It is Love and Mercy. Very good. Fantastic. Yes. Good job. Good work. Good working out. Elizabeth Banks, where is her Danny Collins? It's true. She could She's be Danny Collins. a weird career. Did you watch Call Jane at Sundance this year? No, I heard bad things, so I avoided. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy, it's bad. I heard. I heard. It was on my it was on my sort of long list before the festival. And then the first pe- the first sort of wave of reaction to it was pretty negative, and I was like, "Well, maybe I'll wait." It, I mean, like I'm down for this like tenor of performance with her. I love her in Love and Mercy, but like the movie's just not it. 
Yeah, no I liked her first. quite a bit in Love and Mercy, actually, as I recall. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. I think All that's right. our episode. I think it is too. Danny Collins. Best movie ever made? <laughs> ben, the final film we ever needed <laughs> right now? Honor the man, honor the film, <laughs> Danny right. Collins? Oh boy. I think we I think we got it. I think we cracked it. Yes. Our leading crooner, Danny Collins. Yes. Um but that's our episode. If you want more of this had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at this had Oscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, please tell our listeners where they can find more of you. Well, you can find me uh, crooning for uh, ladies of a certain age on uh, Twitter, I guess. Uh, I'm at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I'm also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. And I am Wouldn't also it be on wild, Chris, if I spelled my name differently on both of those? Have I used that before? Just to fuck with people. Just to be R-E-I-D and one in R-I-E-D on the other one. And, that's uh, your Letterboxd alt. That's my alt, yes. That's right. That's how you know that I finally started an alt is when I change the uh, vowel alignment on my last uh, name. That's yeah. your letterbox alt where you just go and say homophobic things to people. <gasps> Terrible. Just F slurs. Just constant, constant Oh my god. I, listen, I've had to shut down comments on stuff on letterbox before. Um, my, my review of the Batman <laughs> is just, who is this F slur who thinks he can save Gotham? <laughs> Cigarette emoji. <laughs> Ugh. Oh boy. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter and Letterbox. Um, don't call me an F slur there. Yeah, let's let's um, not. Yeah, Christy that's file. our thing. Everybody that doesn't have to be the thing that everybody decides they're going to get in on the joke for. Like, right, right. That's um, just us. That's our. <laughs> you can find me at Crispy File. That's F E I L. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get those podcasts. Five star re- review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So, hey, baby doll, what's going on? Hopefully, some nice reviews. That's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. I'm putting that on all my playlists. <laughs> Just every single one. Every If you come to a party at my apartment in the next year, you will hear Hey Baby Doll from Danny If Collins you go to anybody's party, you need to steal the ox cord uh-huh. and just put yeah. on Hey Baby Doll. Ox cord terrorist just going to parties and being like, stop inviting Joe to your party because he's going to put on this song from Al this Pacino. Al Pacino movie that I've never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> the top artist in your Spotify wrapped this year is going to be Al Pacino. <laughs> I hope his Spotify logo is him as Danny Collins. Hold on, hold on. I have to look it up. It has to be on Spotify. Hold on. All right, look it up. I hope you're still recording because this is all going in. Oh, I'm not. No! It's just going to be me? It's just going to be my end of this conversation? You have backup audio. No, that's true. I I have the combo audio. I'll use that for it. Absolutely, I will. It'll be the end of the episode. Two percent of the people will find it. I don't think it's on here. Hold on. Justice. 
all right, now I'm boycotting Spotify. Not before, not because of Joe Rogan, but now. Now they've crossed me for the last time. There's a song called Hey Baby Doll by Eddie Bush, but I don't think that's it. No Danny Collins on Spotify. All right, we ride Uh, at dawn. Goodbye.